gonna rock these shades Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Corky Siegel. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
Maestro, chase them, please. That sword in hand will do just fine. There were penguins in the opera house, and we were running out of time. There were penguins in the opera. Sitting on the stage, they were sawing on the violins. They only stopped to turn a page. The maestro waved and twirled his sword so bravely. He knew his trade, but the penguins did not bat an eye. They were not at all afraid. The maestro, mad with anger, slashed wildly at the air. The snowbirds just saw it harder, as if he wasn't there. And when the crying violins began to scream, a sound I could not bear at all. I ran right up to save the day. They all were twice. I saw. The penguins dropped their weapons. The minks and sables shouted, "Throw that madman out at once!" The maestro dropped his arms. No, you don't believe me, as I sit in padded cage. But there were penguins in the opera house. 
I wonder who will wash the who will wash the who will wash will wash wash the stage. And that was Corky Siegel from his brand new release, and uh, we got Corky on the line right now. Hey, Corky, how you doing? I'm really doing great. Good, good. Now, of course, I lo- I lost my voice a little bit, but other than that, I think we'll be good. Yeah, I think we're doing good. You sound good <laughs> from this end. Now, um, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to really get to know an artist. And the best way to do that is to talk about your journey, how you've got to where you are today. So give us the story of Corky Siegel. Okay. I, I already love your show. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I, I call myself an innocent victim of incredible good fortune. And the, the kind of... I never set out to be a professional musician. When I met Jim Schwal in college and we started playing music together, we never had an ambition to have a career as such. All we really wanted to do was play music. And it, 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 at our first stepping out, to play a few songs that we learned. You know, we were in love, we fell in love with the blues, listening to these guys on our on our albums. <clears throat> Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, Little Walter, uh, Willie Dixon, all those guys. But it, it just, you know, this is a little bit off, off the topic, but the very first thing that ever happened when we played music, we played three songs in, in this little coffee house we just walked into, said, do you mind if we play? And we pulled, he pulled his guitar, I pulled my harmonica out. And there were two customers in the place that came over to us and said, we'd like you to work on this play with us. And so we spent about six months with these guys working on this play. And I've got to tell you, the play turned out to be Hair, the musical Hair. And that was Radio and Ragney. So we got to work with those guys for six months. Wow. And they asked wow. us to, they asked us to write the music for Hair. Uh, a year later or so when when they came to see us in New York. But uh, just as an example of, we we hadn't even had a band. We weren't even Siegel Schwal. We were still in college. And there was no name recognition or notoriety. <clears throat> and we got to, you know, we got to um, uh, uh, produce Joni, Joni Mitchell's last demo tape oh. with Circle Game on it. And, you know, these are little-known little, little known things. And just stuff would happen to us. But but the, the next story, let me close the window in case somebody comes by and makes too much noise. Okay, go ahead. So, um, the next thing that happened is we walk into this place because we learned a bunch of blues songs and had written some. And the guy... And we said, and it was in the afternoon, and we we said, you know, we'd like to play here. What's the deal? And he says, well, why don't you set up right here on the floor? Uh, and the ladies are coming in this afternoon. You could play for them. So we played for them, and this fellow hired us immediately to be the house band on Thursday nights. You know, we had crossed the tracks to get to this place. 
We were the only two white kids for miles around. <clears throat> and he hired us to play from nine at night till four in the morning every Thursday night. And the first night we play, who shows up but Howlin' Wolf. Oh, nice. The guy we were listening to and idolizing on our our records. He shows up. Muddy Waters. They all, they all come and sit in with us night after night. Little uh, little Walter, uh, Willie Dixon, uh, Hound Dog Taylor, uh, even the young guys like Buddy Guy and Junior Wells, all the blues masters. As it turns out, we were playing at this place called Peppers, and I didn't know it, but it was, you know, uh, ground zero for the blues in Chicago. <laughs> and the hangout for all these amazing guys. And that was 1965. It just literally just happened to us. And we're being taken under the wing by all these amazing masters. Nice. Uh, so, and, and, and in fact, a little side story is uh, a year later, Howlin' Wolf came up to the north side where we were playing and brought his family to hear us. Because Muddy and Wolf, they love Siegel Schwal because they, they said, you know, you guys don't sound like anyone else. And it's not like we weren't trying to sound like anyone else. It's just we failed completely at it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, um, he comes and he he takes us on the road with him. And and we get to, uh, you know, perform with him uh, on a tour in New York State. Um, That was just so anyway, it's 1965. We're playing Peppers every Thursday night. One year later, we get a gig at this place called Big John's that turns out to be ground zero of the rock blues revolution where Butterfield was playing and they needed someone to take that spot. And there was a whole bunch of bands that auditioned for it and we got the audition. And we had never played before. We had just put the band together with a bass player and a drummer, Russ Chadwick and Josh Davidson. So anyway, here it is, 1966. We're playing there a lot at Big John's. And this one guy is coming in night after night. Obviously, he's a big fan because he gets there early. He stays all night. And one night he comes up to me and he says, I'd like your band to jam with my band. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And what's his band? So it turns out it was Seiji Ozawa. Uh, the conductor the sh- at the time, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Nice. <laughs> and that's how I got involved. In, in 1968, we, we did a performance with uh, the Chicago Symphony in uh, William Russo's Three Pieces for a Blues Band and Symphony, and the rest is history. Nice. <clears throat> and, that, and that's how I, I, I began bringing blues to classical music, and the guys like Wolf and Muddy thought that was really a cool, cool deal, and they... They were very complimentary about it. Now, let's talk about the new release you, you have out now. Um, what was your 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 concept that you were looking to put together for this particular release? Well, it was based on uh, the last album that was called Different Voices, which was a series of tunes taken from live performances. Uh, we would have Chamber Blues, which is a juxtaposition of blues and classical, and it's string quartet, 
and blues harmonica and blues piano and sometimes vocals. The concept is to juxtapose blues and classical. So they live side by side. It's not a blend. It's not even really a crossover. It's these two, these two things and these two forces are living together side by side. <laughs> That's a concept. But then, <clears throat> after a while, we would start having guest artists like Marcella Detroit and, like I said, Ernie Watts and Tracy Nelson and uh, Sandeep Das and all these other, you know, great artists that I loved personally. And they agreed to come in and do a show. And so I would write all the string quartet music in the context of uh, juxtaposing classical with blues and these other genres that they were bringing to the show. So I would do a whole show of tunes with uh, Marcella Detroit and then shows one of her songs, which, which on, the, on the first album happened to be Lay Down Sally. And so I did a, a classical blues version of Lay Down Sally for the Different Voices album. <clears throat> and then I would have some other artists that I do full performances with and choose one of their songs. So this is just a continuation of that. Uh, it's um, my, the, uh, my favorite example of what happens musically is on the Different Voices album where I do a tune called Missing Persons that, that I composed. I had Ernie Watts, the jazz saxophone player, play jazz on top of that. And then, of course, I played blues harmonica. And what you hear when you hear the piece because again, it's not a blend, it's, a, it's just a juxtaposition of these different elements. You hear the blues, the jazz, and the classical chasing each other around the room. And I just love that idea. So I, I, I continued the concept as much as I could. And in the new album, uh, More Different Voices, <laughs> uh, the next one's gonna be called Even More Different Voices. Uh, More Different Voices, uh, we, again, bring in the different genres, like Tracy Nelson is doing more of a gospel blues. Ernie Watts, again, is doing one of his jazz tunes. Marcy is more R&B. Um, uh, Frank Oral from Poi Dot Pondering does this incredible, uh, what I call poetry song. Uh, and, um, you know, it, and that's, that was sort of the concept. And just to take each song, is a different project uh, and just put it together on the album. I, I love when Siegel Schwal was first recording for Vanguard, I got a complaint from Sam Charters, the producer. I got the same complaint through my whole recording experiences with RCA and Vanguard and everyone. Corky, you gotta have a sound. <laughs> okay. So I never worried about having the sound. I just wrote the music as it came out, and if it tend, er, tend, tended to be incredibly eclectic, beautiful. So as you can see with this album, it's quite eclectic. So there was no concept for the album other than collaboration. And not only, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, I find it interesting <laughs> that you're taking 
you know, traditional uh, roots kind of music and jazz, and then giving it uh, a very classical um, arrangement to it and taking a classical music approach to the music. What really kind of brought that concept on? Well, you know, when you said that, the thought that occurred to me was, <clears throat> well, it's dirty work, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one, one of the things, uh, what brought the concept on, it was Seiji Ozawa saying, classical music has been going on for a long time, and it sure could use a new, fresh spark. And blues, uh, which is the new folk, folk form of the day, and the classical music has always developed, by utilizing the surrounding folk forms, it's time for blues to take part in the classical music form. Okay. You know, more directly. Yeah, and, and really, you know, as I say, uh, chamber blues was was neither my idea nor my fault. <laughs> it was all Sergio's out. But I love it. You know, I totally love it. And um, like I say, it's dirty work, but somebody's got to do it. And the, the beauty of that is Composers in general are always looking for some way to write a piece that's a little bit different. I want it to be a little bit different. I think composers and songwriters, they always want to write something, hopefully, that's a little bit different. I mean, unless they're just trying to copy something or try and make the hits and therefore copy other styles for that reason. But I think, in general, the artist wants to do something different. The easiest way to do it is take two elements that aren't usually together and put them together and you can't help but coming up with something different so this has been a complete joy for me to just take a blues thing and make it classical <laughs> there's, there's nothing more fun in the world and, and no one else is really doing it i've been doing it since 1966 and i thought wow people are really going to grab this and, and run with it because this is just brilliant and beautiful you know the idea and really no one has done it i'm sort of the lone ranger here but um that's fine i, I you know I, that that sort of makes it fun too so that okay. one of the things that's one of the things that keep me going if i don't do it no one's going to do it that that's true that's definitely true now you're also a songwriter in your own right um, when you sit down to begin that process, what what do you do that kind of gets the uh, the gears going or, or tap into the muse? <clears throat> well, in terms of not writing the songs, because I only have one song with lyrics. Oh, no, I have two songs on the album with lyrics and one instrumental that I wrote, you know, the, the whole thing. But... Um, the two different processes for writing a song. For me, I usually like coming up with the lyrics first, and you know, while all my friends are writing one hundred songs a month, I'm writing one and working on it as if it's a hundred songs. <laughs> so, really, there's not a song of mine on my solo album that I, I don't love, that there wasn't a reason for it. And uh, because I spent so much time making it into something that pleases me, um, 
I, I won't say the same for all of the Siegel Schwal material because in the beginning, in the 60s, writing material for Siegel Schwal was just trying to quickly write some songs so that we have something to play. Yeah, whereas Siegel Schwal developed, because remember, we were picked up by Vanguard Records while we were still getting it together. And you could hear the first record and the second record and the third record, and you could hear us sort of learning, going through the learning process. But there was a point where we sort of got hold of it a little bit, and all of a sudden the songs became a little more sophisticated. And, uh, you know, by the time I got into my solo career, excuse the expression career, um, uh, you know, I was a songwriter, and, and I loved the poetry of the songs. So, um, but for, for the More Different Voices project, um, it's, it was a different process because I'm writing string quartet music. Right. As an accompaniment to the, the, to this. And that's a whole different process. Uh, I, I could, it's simply a note at a time. Trial and error, tedious, a note at a time. And filling the music with expressive dynamics, intense dynamics and expressiveness, as much as I could put in the notation. Now, let's talk a little bit about going into the studio, because, you know, I find the studio in that environment is an art form within itself. Because every artist needs to capture their sound, or even just the sound for a particular piece or song. Uh, when you get into that environment, what is kind of your working process that allows you to capture the sound you're looking for? Well, let me start with the the 1970s and Siegel Schwal albums. Mm-hmm. My goal was to get into that studio have fun, and leave. And then listen to the music later on. So I had a whole system. I I knew there was different kinds of psychologies. In performing live music, you're really in the moment. You you have no choice. The notes are going by so fast. You're in the moment. and you, You can't do a second and third and fourth take. It's a live performance. That's what we're good at. When we go into the studio, that's more of a rare occasion. So what I wanted to do was replicate the feeling of a live performance uh, in terms of our own psychology. And, and still, as you said, utilize the recording as a different art form. In other words, we're not trying to replicate a live performance. We're trying to do a live performance because that's the best work we can do and then try and create an incredible experience for the listener That's our, and for ourselves. That, that's the object. So what I would do with Siegel Schwal is we would go in and have a set plan. We would listen to the first song, get, make sure the sounds were right, and then we'd play all 15 songs, one right after the other without stopping, without listening back. Then we'd take a break. All one takes, all fresh takes. Then a couple hours later we'd come back, and we do the set again. Then we'd go home. And then I would study the tapes and we'd pick the best ones. And we'd say, well, we still got tens, 
We got three really good tunes. We still got 12 more we need to perfect. Let's go back in and do that again. So that was the process. So we were just having fun performing and it was being captured on tape rather than 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 pressing the record button and going okay let's do this one and then while we're performing we're thinking gee i could do that better i can't wait till we get to the second take no so we eliminated that what turned out is rca couldn't believe how little money i was spending one of the albums when other people were spending fifty thousand dollars we spent forty seven hundred and they couldn't believe it because we did all overdubs and it was like a big production. But we did it with with uh, having the joy of performing in mind and it worked really well. So this time for more different voices, this was unbelievable what happened. It was during COVID and everyone did their performances from their own space. Okay. The, the ones that didn't have high-grade recording equipment, I bought a bunch of portable recorders, sent it to them with instructions on how to use it. Now, this is the amazing thing. When we're on stage performing, the group relies on the other performers for the depth of expression. So at one time I was performing with Chamber Blues and, and I said, you guys, you got to play with more dynamics. And one of the players said, well, but if I play quieter, I'm going to be drowned out by the guy next to me who isn't playing quiet. And I, I would try and tell him, you have to ignore you can't listen to the other players. You have to be entirely focused on your own part and get so deep into it that all the other players will be there in your head. You don't have to really listen to them and make sure that you're playing with a full expression. Well, it's really difficult on stage because, again, you're, you're, you're relating to all the other musicians in real time. This time, each person had to play their own part all alone in their own space and all of the world of expression was on their shoulders. And the individual parts came out so expressive that our engineer had to grab a whip and tame them a little bit so they wouldn't be jumping out of the grooves. <laughs> the right, right. Okay. So, so it was just an incredible experience. I could say I almost prefer having the parts done separately. Right. And, 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 <clears throat> yeah, and, and, you know, I understand that the school of thought is, no, 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 no. You're going to lose so much if you're not playing together as a group and, 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 and you know, uh, getting things off of each other and da, 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 da. You know, certainly in some cases and in, in, in more improvisation, that's going to be the case. But in general, even the improvisational parts were good. There, there's this thing on, uh, uh, what's the tune, uh, Oasis, where our tabla player, Kayan Johnny Bongo Patak, and Ernie Watts are actually doing a trade-off. But they're doing it in their own space uh, and not doing it in real time. And it's beautiful. It's quite beautiful. So, again, you said it. I look at recording as a different art form. So I'm not trying to replicate a live performance. 
on record, nor am I really trying to replicate us performing live other than the fact that it's so much fun. That's what we would rely on as much as possible. This time we couldn't do that. But boy, it really turned out amazing. Everyone was completely flabbergasted at how well it came out. Nice. Now, let's talk a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Fortunately, I have the CD right here. Okay. Uh, because I keep forgetting. You know, I got seven guest artists, and I always leave one out. But, you know, my wife is back here. She'll yell if I miss somebody. Because I can't read the back of the album. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, it's Lynn Jordan, a Chicago R&B singer. Um, it's uh, Frank Oral from Poi Duck Pondering, the the founder of Poi Duck Pondering, the lead the lead guy. Uh, Ernie Watts, the jazz icon, saxophone player. Um, uh, Terranzo Cannon, the alligator blues artist, alligator records blues artist. Tracy Nelson, uh, the country blues gospel singer that had had the group called Mother Earth and she did a duet with Willie Nelson. No, no relation. Marcella Detroit, who uh, wrote Lay Down Sally and, you know, toured with everybody and had a group called Shakespeare's Sister. Uh, And uh, that's six. See, I'm I'm leaving one out. Oh, a cantor. This is an amazing story. (laughs) He just handed me the photographs of players. I mean, a cantor, Pavel Reutemann, <clears throat> what happened is I was asked by a, a Jewish synagogue in Chicago if I could write music, chamber blues music, for this cantor. And so the, the first piece I wrote for a chamber blues concert was this, this song that when I was a kid I used to hear a lot. It was called Hina Matov Manahi. And, uh, it was um, a song I heard a million times in my Jewish world, my Jewy Jew world in, in Chicago. And so I decided to write an arrangement of that, and it's a chant. And so the song lasts 15 seconds, but I wrote a seven-minute version of it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, sort of theme and variations. It starts out as Hoochie Coochie Man, da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And then it moves into a Mozartian thing, and uh, quite wild. So, as it turns out, I, I wrote that in 2014 and recorded it. And in 2020, when the pandemic hit and we were working on the album, I decided I wanted to include it. And then, of course, we find out there's a war in Ukraine. And as it turns out, and I didn't know this. Cantor Pavel Reutemann is from Ukraine. So it all worked out quite beautifully. Nice. Now, um, of course, once you get something recorded, you have to put your team together and get it out there. You got to get it to radio, you got to get it to press. And you're working with carrying a. Leipziger. Leipziger, yes. Baron Leipziger. Yes. So tell me a little Karen. bit about that relationship. Call, okay. We call her Karen. <laughs> yeah. She calls me Corky. So, 
actually Karen doesn't do any social media really uh, she just does um, newspaper magazine and if any radio stations come along that's it uh, so she's the one that's going to allow the world of uh, that media to know about this project. Um, you know, certainly it's going to fall through the cracks. Uh, of course, everyone claims their music falls through the cracks. <laughs> everyone wants more attention than, as I do. But um, when my wife, Holly, which get bookings for chamber blues often the presenter would say well we have a blues series we have a jazz series we have a chamber music series but your music doesn't fit any of those those genres and Holly would say well but you have to understand Corky has been working his whole life trying to come up with something that doesn't fit into your genres <laughs> so so when when uh, we we were looking for a PR person to work with um, the Different Voices album, <clears throat> Karen Leipziger was recommended, and so was uh, Cindy. Uh, what was her last name? Byron. Cindy Byron. And neither one of them accepted the project. They both turned it down, and they turned it down because they said it doesn't fit. Uh, we love it. We think it's beautiful, but there is absolutely nothing we can do with this. Cindy was classical and jazz, and uh, Karen was more, you know, Americana and roots and blues and kind of country. So um, they agreed to do it if they both can work on it. And that's how I ended up working with them because they individually they would have turned it down because they felt helpless. Uh, so uh, Karen got a you know a good taste of it and, and understands how she could you know. But you know we can only do so much because a lot of people are going to look at it and just throw it in the garbage, you know, without taking a second look. So we understand that. <laughs> so uh, and you know what, I love that. Yeah, I said that. Uh, my wife is coaching me in the back. <laughs> well, good <laughs> thing. Yeah, Karen fell in love with it, and she lo loves this, this recording, and we love Karen. But, you know, we have our work cut out for us. We're going to do the best we can to get it out there. And every once in a while, like, you know, Downbeat Magazine said, underappreciated nat national treasure. I can't tell you how much I love that. But another quote, someone said, He's either a musical genius or crazier than an outhouse rat. That's my favorite quote. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I would you know, take that, that in a heartbeat. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah. Now, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how the industry has changed over the years because you have this rich history within the industry itself. And, you know, you and I are, I, I would say we are of the same era, you know, where music was a very tactile experience. You, you would buy an album, you would put it on the turntable, you would drop the needle down, you would listen to that from track one 
to the end of that side, flip it over and listen to that whole other side. It's, it was a different way of listening to music, and it was a different way of consuming music. Through the last 20-something years, the digital revolution has really changed things in that the consumer now embraces streaming as the way to consume music. Yeah. And, you know, let's face it, we're not going to lose that. But they no longer look at recorded music as a product to purchase anymore. It's now a service. How has this shift in perception affected you as an artist? Uh, well, well. before I answer that, let's, if we start with, uh, you know, putting the record on, if the music was boring, you'd get to also watch the record spin around. Yeah. Which was helpful. Or you before could clean, that, your, you clean your, you know, your, your stuff in the, uh, in the fold of the album, you know? <laughs> and before that, it was all live music. We didn't have recordings. Think about that. Think about how people must have felt when there were recordings. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, well, for me, the the simple difference is I have to do everything. I have to do everything. You know, be- before, you know, we'd make the music, we'd send it to the record company and move on with our live performances. Uh, and, you know, do interviews and, and, and that kind of a thing. And, you know, do a little, help the promotion process a little bit. But um, uh, now, you know, in our level of uh, industry notoriety, uh, we have to do everything ourselves. And you know what? That's sort of a cool thing. Because I just simply take my creative energy and I put it into writing Facebook posts that are fun for me, doing little marketing things that are fun for me. I I just want it all to be fun. If it's not going to be fun, I'm not going to do it. And if I don't feel like doing it, I don't do it. And if I feel like doing it, I'm doing it. So I, the only responsibility I'm taking is this. I make the music, and I make it with all my heart. And I make it without projecting what people are going to think. I'm going to give the world my individuality, you know, which I think that's what artists do. I think we find our individuality, and we offer that to the world. And what a wonderful thing that is. So, you know, I try and... That's when I'm writing and putting these things together, I am not thinking for a second of how it's going to be received. There's not a moment of that that goes, doesn't even go into my marketing. I just do something that I think is fun. I don't even hope that somebody likes it because I know I've already done it. I've already wrapped the gift and tied the bow on it, and how it's received isn't my problem. <laughs> But, you know, my responsibility is I can make the music and it stays in the basement. No one's going to know about it. So I have to do it. And and you know what? I got to tell you, it's always been you guys 
that have allowed me to continue to make music. And I, I'll tell you a quick story. Major radio station in Chicago, WXRT, when Siegel Schwal just started recording on RCA. My friend Seth Mason and John Platt and all the guys up at the station called all the radio stations around the country and told them to play my music. That's why I could do that's why I could do what I, I I could do something like Chamber Blues. Because we had such a great success with that, with Siegel Schwal in those days, that it set me up for, for a lifelong you know, name recognition, ability to be able to do things, and, and and you guys are keeping it going. And you know, between us, we get to allow music like this to happen, which which would not happen without a little help from our friends. Okay. So thank you. Well, no problem. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. Um, and uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. Thank <laughs> you. 
was a hot-blooded woman Sending chills up and down his spine Now she's got him Crying in his wine It don't impress me It don't impress me Not at all
jump off the bridge Into the San Francisco Bay Let the waters Carry you away It won't impress me No It won't impress me at all your troubles till you turn blue no one's got them no one's got them like I do no I'm sick and tired of hearing everyone complain about their little troubles It don't impress me It don't impress me at all No, no It don't move me Cause you can tell me about your troubles Till you turn blue No one No one Got him Like I do Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.